0: Hi, I'm Rick Anthony, and welcome to the Someone You Should Know podcast, the podcast that focuses on musicians, authors, and interesting people. We like to say we're making a difference one artist at a time. So sit back, have a cold one, and get ready to meet someone you should know. The Someone You Should Know podcast prides itself in bringing you musicians, authors, and interesting people today truly an interesting person. He's a regular host on The World According to Ben Stein Show. He's a regular on the podcast circuit and the host of his own podcast. And as far as I can recall, the very first contrarian I've ever had on the show. Will you please welcome (laughs) all the way from Mexico, Miles Wakeham. Miles,
1: welcome aboard. Hey, thank you, Rick. Great to be with you. Whereabouts in Mexico are you? I am in the town of San Miguel de Allende, which is in the center of Mexico. We're about three hours bus trip north of Mexico City. Oh, Wonderful,
0: wonderful. Uh, let's take a moment and talk about the term contrarian. For anyone who's listening in today going, what the heck is he talking about? Would you please uh, kind of uh, enlighten us exactly what a contrarian is?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really even know what that was, to be honest with you. I I came to the United States when I was 25 years old back in 19... 19- 89 it's dating me but, <laughs> me um, too buddy <laughs> yeah but when i got it when i got to the states and i eventually realized you know when in rome i had to become an american um which was what 30 odd years ago when i did that i started finding all of these um natural contrary positions that this kid from down under had found himself in and i think what ended up happening was it, it forced me to understand that although I felt like I was like everybody else, when I started looking at my background and looking at how I viewed the world and what I did with my life, I was very atypical to everybody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what a 401k was. I <laughs> right, yeah. I didn't understand living in a country where I had to pay to go to see a doctor. I didn't understand any of that. I was, it was, I was a fish out of water 30 years later. You would think by now I would have uh, embraced it. Uh, But the truth was that every single time that I tried to take a, a normal, what I would call the social mantra, the normal social contract that all of my American friends had been raised on and had grown up with and never questioned, they were all new to me. So whenever I took on board the idea of you know having a job, going to work, sitting in traffic, you know, all of the paying things taxes take for granted. Paying taxes, <laughs> yes. right? You know. But the, the things we just take for granted, they didn't have the outcomes that I was expecting. Um, I didn't make any money. I, I end up I saw all these people who were like working really, really hard, and I, I could see this incredibly powerful work ethic. It was amazing to me. But every month that they'd finished their work, they didn't have anything to show for it. And I'm like, well, you know, and I was looking at this like an immigrant, right? I'd, I'd look at everything and I'd say, you're making like $100,000, you know, if, you know what that looks like. Some dude living in Nairobi, <laughs> oh, right? Exactly. Oh
0: gosh, <laughs> or, yes. Or Anyone, in you know any, in, in impoverished I mean, company, my, countries? Yeah, absolutely. My God, if,
1: if if they had that sort of income, they'd be living like royalty. Mm-hmm. But you're barely scraping by every month. Why is that? You know, and I, I questioned every single thing that was the norm, the social norms, where their money went. Well, you know. And I realized how different I was. And all of a sudden, I started doing different things to them, things that were more suitable when you raise in a, a country, for example, where um, the universe talks to you. Like if in Australia, doesn't have many people in it, mm-hmm. 25 million people, but it's a landmass the size of the United States. Everybody, in one way or another, is enjoying the bounty of the land, whether you're a miner or you work for a company that services the mining industry, you're a farmer or you work in an export country that exports wheat or grain, this is normal to us in Australia. And so you understand things like the weather and the the harvest season and the cycles of nature. And you, you also understand that if you go outside of the house there's a pretty good chance that anything crawling around on the ground will kill you. <laughs> oh, that's so that's,
0: Australia like is such a beautiful a, country, but you've got some
1: really interesting bugs and, and, uh, oh, and yeah. snakes. It's, and stuff. Jeez. It's <laughs> deadly. I mean, I've been in ICU from like a jellyfish sting. Oh my so, I mean, I know how, yeah. how that feels, but this is normal for us. We right. You're used the, to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we accept risk as part of our normal DNA and, and I, with all of those things, I realized after a while how atypical I was to everybody growing up in the concrete urban jungles. And that's why I'm a contrarian. Right. And here's the cool thing
0: about him. Check this out, folks. He came to the United States in 1989, and he has since become a multimillionaire. He lives 100% free and unconstrained life. He has no job. And he was never graduated high school, let alone going to college. You you consider yourself a, a focused technologist. Can you explain that? To what that's all about, too?
1: Yeah, um, I was raised actually as a musician. I, my mother oh, stuck okay. a violin under my chin when I was five and said, <laughs> "Kid, you're going to be in the symphony orchestra one day." And as it happened, by the age of eleven, I was in the South Australian Junior Symphony Orchestra. Wow! So, you know, <laughs> we put music ahead of. Yeah, math and yeah. English <laughs> in, in my family. I think
0: though. a lot of my guests have done the same too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead. Right.
1: But, you know, musicians are interesting characters and, you know, we are atypical. We think differently to most people. We're more in tune with what's going on around us. We're sensitive. Right. Very and, creative. And yeah. Those, yeah. And those qualities don't necessarily connect with academia and they don't connect with uh, traditional. You know, the, the to if you say to a musician, uh, I'm going to give you a job, you know, in corporate America for 40 hours a week, they'll look at you and go, go away. <laughs> the only reason they want that is because they can't pay their rent, right? right yeah, right? it's yeah. not because that's their goal in life; it's because they're they're forced into that situation.
0: They're waiting on the record um, company to return their calls, basically, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, I I get that, and I came from the same cloth. So um, what that meant was that I ended up, when I was a teenager, I had this naturally inquisitive mind. I was very sensitive to things that were going on about me. It just so happened that I got into electronics when I was like 13. I was a very technical kind of character and um, and then bought one of the very first ever personal computers that ever were released. That was in 1978 so uh, was it an I, apple 2e
0: or what was it was it an apple it was or a
1: tandy, TRS-80. tandy, tandy. <laughs> trs-80
0: yep know it well yep. know it well yes sir all right <laughs> yes sir so, um radio I I gotta love to-
1: them. <laughs> yeah and i had a father who was paying a lot of money to put me through sort of a private school you mm-hmm. know thinking that i'd hobnob with all of the rich and famous and that was gonna gonna you know serve me well and i and my attitude was i ain't learning anything here dad You know, I'm learning more in my bedroom with this computer working out what it does. So I became a pretty good programmer and convinced him, you know, when I was about 15 that I should finish, not finish school, leave it and go and start a software company because there was this thing I thought was going to be really big. And I don't know, maybe it was just the constant work of him having to pay for my education that i wore him down enough (laughs) and he said okay kid off you go but it's on you you screw up you fix it i'm like i'm cool with that Uh so i did that's nice to have a
0: parent that allows that because most of us said yeah this is this is the way i did it this is the way i know how to do it this is the way you're gonna do it because you know parents they want the best for their kids and that's and and they think that's the best thing for their kids but when you've really got a knack for something when you have actually got a talent for music and you don't develop that, that. That that was a gift that was given to you. You've you've have several gifts in your in your quiver, don't you? Now, let's not, let's well, talk. Well,
1: I I, I kind of look at it like it's a right brain, and a left brain thing. Right? Uh-huh. Like on the left brain, I'm very pragmatic and and engineering focused and technical. And on the right side of my brain, I'm I, I hear music in my when I wake up in the morning, and I and I need to pursue that. And I think as I've gotten older in life. The right brain didn't get enough attention as an earlier age, and now it's screaming for attention. Uh-huh. So I've decided to put the left aside. But back in those days, I focused a lot of. I mean, I look. I was a. Uh, I I moved from violin to Spanish guitar. I became a classical guitarist. Then I turned that into a rock guitarist. Joined bands. Moved to Hollywood. Did all of that. <laughs> yes. I worked recording okay. studios up and down. Hollywood, I was playing in bands up and down the Sunset Strip. So I had my time in that world. Uh Uh-huh, right. But I couldn't feed my family.
0: Right, yeah, it's it's the hard thing to do, yeah.
1: And when you've got the option to either go programming, which made a lot of money, or music, which fulfilled your passion but didn't, Uh, when I had a daughter, I became Mr. Responsible. Absolutely. And I decided that, And I regret that to this day, to be honest with you, but I decided that pursuing a life as a producer, engineer, uh, or musician in Hollywood wasn't going to be enough to feed my family. And so I put my own needs aside to focus on being responsible. And I think the problem was your your point about contrarianism. uh, My version of responsible was very different to most people that I ended up meeting, working with, or, seeing at a starbucks mm-hmm. um because i didn't I, I i always remember this i was in southern california right? you'd you'd go to a starbucks you'd be standing in line you'd start up some conversation with the the guy next to you and 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 they were always the same art type mm-hmm. like they they wore the same sort of clothes they were these like well-dressed um people with corporate jobs and they played golf on the weekend and they drove a BMW. It was like you could take that model, you could stamp it across the board, Uh and that was what everybody wanted. And you'd have a conversation with them like, you know, who are you? You know, tell me about you. Tell Uh me about your DNA, your passion. What what do you do? And all they could tell you was what they just watched on the TV the night before or the stock tip on CNBC or Uh – that was it. And I was like, this is an empty motion. This is not a life. And you get one shot at this, dude. You know, make the most Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. you just, it... you know. And the thing and is, the... if you can
0: follow your passion and make money out of it, then you've really got something. And that's the case what you've yeah. got there. Now, I just, uh, I followed my passion. I did more than 40 years in radio and realized there's not a whole hell of a lot of money in radio. <laughs> <laughs> But one thing I did is I just recently retired on January the 1st, and I was going through your notes, and there was something you said, why should people throw out the traditional concept of retirement entirely? I have all ears, buddy, so help me out here.
1: (laughs) That comes from uh, an experience I had when I was 22. So my father, with his um, wisdom of letting me run loose as a young kid and leave school, uh, he passed away when I was 22 years old and I had to bury him. Um, and in the process of doing that, it's kind of a very formative, uh, event that happens in all of our lives. If you lose a parent or a a family member or a loved one of some form. And I, I honestly wouldn't want anybody to have to go through that. But at the same time, I, I, I looked at it from a, Uh, an experiential point of view, and I looked at his life. And this was a man in the 20th century who uh, avoided going to World War II because he had a uh, sawmill accident and he lost his trigger finger. So for some reason, he got out of the draft, and then he raised you know our family and my mother and me and did all the right things he he did what i did uh-huh. you know he gave up for himself but he was loyal to the company and for 40 years he worked for the same company um and he retired at 65 and he was dead at 67 oh my I and i always look yeah, look back it. at that and go i there but for the grace of god you know i'm not going to go down that path and it But then when we looked deeper into it, as I started to unravel this man's story, because you see him as dad, you don't see him as a man with a history. Mm -hmm. But then when he's passed away, you now have to face the reality of putting together the estate and looking after my mom and everything. And I, I began looking at this man's history. And what I found was that he worked for a building materials company that made roofing materials for most of his career or all of his career. Um, and he was actually killed by the company he worked for. He, the oh company my, made yeah. roofing materials that were made of blue asbestos. There you go. Uh-huh. And so he ended up contracting lung cancer, and then died shortly after he, he retired. And that was even worse to understand because I realized all of a sudden I can't trust the the, the that social contract. You know, right, yeah. go to school, study hard, get a good job, work hard, and one day you can retire and. It didn't work out for him so it was not going to work out for me either and that's i i threw out the word retirement because i associate it with seeing my dead father lying on a right. aluminum yeah. table in a hospital right so i don't want retirement i realized the most important thing i've got in this world is time there's a finite resource of that i can make an unlimited amount of money but i don't ever have more time and if i don't have quantity of time I sure as hell I'm going to have quality. Right. And so what that what that meant was if I can work hard early and make money and invest it and I understand the nature of the universe and how the cycles work I can create a situation where I get my time back. And so I managed to I haven't had a job for 25 years. So I don't know if you call that retirement but I don't I don't even use the word retirement. I just do what Miles does. Ooh. I just follow my passion and I change it according to the to the seasons, you know, Got so I can live anywhere around the world and invest around the world. And I'm not afraid to do that. So why not live that life?
0: This is really cool, too. Not only is he living anywhere he wants to, he's in central Mexico. He and his wife in 2021 bought a large compound that had a bullfighting ring on it and <laughs> you're in the process of switching that whole thing over to a luxury home at a world-class recording studio how is retiring in mexico or you know the, the idea of retiring in mexico any taps uh, uh, traps and uh, tips that you can impart to us if we decide to head south of the border
1: uh no i mean that he, here's the interesting thing about it um I mean, I came from another country to the United States, so I understand what life looks like on the other side of the wall. Um, The truth is that uh, it's not that difficult. But what often happens with a lot of countries that are out there that people might look at and say, you know, maybe I want to spend the last quarter of my life living in Europe or living in Thailand Mm -hmm. or wherever it might be. A lot of countries make it very difficult for you to do that because, um, getting a second residency or a second passport often requires huge monetary investments and buying real estate or investing in businesses and all these things that are often barriers to entry that are prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Not so much with Mexico. For um, 40 bucks for an application <laughs> form and uh, a proof that you are not derelict and you've got some money, they'll give you a residency permit. It's a, it's a tricky with bureaucracy, but not impossible. And you can hire an attorney to, you know, Teflon coat you through it, but it's not out of the question. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy. Uh, when my wife and I were looking at Mexico, we chose this area to spend most of our time in, although we still do spend some time in Australia, but uh, we spoke, we, we chose Mexico because it's time zone compatible right, with yes. the U S mm-hmm. and I'm only a two hour flight away from you know, my daughter, if I need to be, Uh or if she wants to come down to us, or she might want to spend a lot of her life living in Mexico and then commuting back to the States to do work. I mean, the options are available. Uh, The economy down here is going gangbusters right now. I mean, it's nuts. Uh, And so it's a very nice place to be. Uh Is there a good housing boom down there right now? There is. And what's in I had lunch with a friend of mine on the weekend that is a real estate agent, and he was telling me that uh, in the past, a lot of the really expensive homes here, the million-plus, two million-plus homes, uh, were sitting on the market for some time and weren't moving. All of a sudden, they're all moving now. He thought they were overpriced, but what's ended up happening was that they stayed where they were and the market came up to meet them. wonderful okay so yeah so now it's uh quite active in real estate but you do have to pay cash that's the only okay (laughs) right very good you don't have debt down there there's no mortgages (laughs) so you've got to come in with a bunch of cash but you know you're welcome when you come, and you'll you'll love it. The weather is beautiful, and the people are great. It's fantastic. Real
0: good. Now, a lot of my podcast guests are musicians, and they're trying to make a name for themselves. Kind of like you were talking about earlier with when you when you moved to, to Hollywood and such. Mm-hmm. A lot of them with the minimum wage jobs. Can someone become financially free in the 21st century by still having a minimum wage job? Is it possible? Yeah,
1: I, well. It, it, look, there's two levers in the world here. You've got the, the lever of income mm-hmm. and the lever of expenses, right? And I, right, I yeah. think of this like a business owner would think of it. You can ratchet either up or down according to how you want to live. Um, as we would in, our, in my younger years when I was a struggling artist – Um, the best way that you could survive so that you could go on auditions or get gigs or do whatever, was you had to play the lever of expenses. You had to be able to live very frugally. um, And then you didn't rely on making as much money. So this is part of the problem I find uh, that contrarianism has taught me that has made the difference for me. When people say success equals a six-figure salary or something like that, I'm like no, success equals enough money for you to feel that you're not unsafe and you can survive. But that comes down to what you believe to be your expense ratio. To so when we retire, the first thing most people do is they cut back on all of those unnecessary expenses because you don't have that money flowing in all the time. I now guess, yes. you've gone right. You've gone from salary to. IRA, 401k, social security, mm, right? right? So you 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 become fixed in your income. So you don't have the lever of adjusting it up or down anymore. Mm-hmm. So your only option is to adjust the lever of expenses. So most retirees will start pulling back right, on the exactly, expenses. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So if you did that at the age of 20, but then you had both levers to manipulate then all of a sudden you didn't need to make as much money to to cut it if you're willing to live frugal. The problem is most people don't understand what that really looks like. Retirees surprisingly do. So we do because too, we're wise. <laughs> we're wise and we've a lot of, we're lot of very experience yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Right, at getting the most out of the minimal amount of price. I mean, you'll go and you'll do the 4 p.m. special at Denny's to get the cheaper price because well, that's how it is, right? You're, yeah. you're not doing it because that's a choice. You're doing it for frugality. Well, for a 23-year-old doing that, they could get the same meal. And I'll tell you this, any starving artist on the street of Hollywood when I was there, if you said to them, hey, listen, I can get you a sandwich for like 40 cents on the dollar, they'd be like, sign me up, and right. they'd go straight there <laughs> because it meant that they could have a little extra money to help pay the rent, and then they could go and they could do this audition or play this club or right. do this whatever. Right. It's no different. I think that we've lost that art. We we've been swindled to some degree into this idea that we have to drive the BMW, we have to have the nice clothes, we've got to have the latest iPhone, we've got to it's and, it's all about status, ladies.
0: yeah. It's all about status. All about status. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that who are we
1: impressing? It. Yeah,
0: I know. That's who? just it. This is something that I was I learned later in life is the fact that run your own race. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Run your own race. Run Miles' race. Run Rick's race. Exactly. You know. Who, yeah. Who were you trying to compete with? I, I, you compete with yourself. Just try to be a better exactly. person each day, and that's and that's just it you sound
1: like a musician because that's how musicians think <laughs>
0: well that's, that's like, just it yeah it's just many I, years of i'm going
1: cr- to create my yeah. music i'm going to create my identity mm-hmm. yeah. i'm not i don't want to be influenced by everything i mean we are to some degree mm-hmm. but i don't want to be influenced by everything because i know that those that are willing to have the courage to go out there and do it on their terms right. are the ones that create the best art oh, yeah. and that if you just have that capability inside of you you can actually live on very very little income and live a very very happy life. I
0: agree with you. I totally agree with you. You've got uh, you're a host of a, a podcast show, fellow podcaster, unconstrained podcast. You teach the art of financial sustainability to your audience. Can you give me your thirty second elevator
1: speech on on the show? On yeah, what it's about. Um, it's it's basically a summation of what I've learned, but it's financial sustainability is the ability to generate 150 percent of your burn rate that's your expenses mm-hmm. by not actually having to work or spend actual time in labor and i explore how that looks how that works all the things that get in the way and how you achieve it uh and i have a book coming out that sort of that's right i wanted when is the book coming out oh uh, well, i'm so working on it right okay now. very I, good i'm hoping it'll be out this year for sure okay i have an editor now who's keeping me forcing me to the keyboard, but um, I, I would expect that we'll probably have something out. In the okay. Next I want you
0: back months. on when, when the book comes out that All right, we'll sure. have, we'll have you on for that particular thing, but uh, the show notes will include the link to his podcast. I'm signing up and I want you to do the same today. Okay. Let's talk about some of your other links, miles real quick.
1: Uh, well, for the most part, I think people can uh, find me on uh, be unconstrained.com. Okay. That's the main website. Uh, I have a Twitter thing that I rarely use, but for the most part, everything centers around that website. Okay,
0: very good. Um, yeah, so that check, yeah, check much, out just, um, check out the podcast for sure, and uh, you'll yeah. learn everything. Uh, closing thoughts: Let's go ahead and talk about the fact that you being a musician, there is a the since this show is primarily musicians and authors and such, uh, there's a feature that I love to include. It's called Tales from the Road. You being a musician for many years in in Los Angeles. It is, this is the most infamous road stories. We've all had gigs where everything went perfectly right. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, we have one of those gigs. You say, how in the world did I survive that? I, I got to the wrong venue. Uh, uh, my, my vehicle broke down. I had, I forgot the forgot the instruments. I plugged in, and all of a sudden, the power blew. Uh, anything come to mind, Miles, as would be your tales from the road?
1: Yeah, but it's a little different slant on it than that. Okay, go ahead. Um, I It's a cautionary tale. Okay. I would. Uh, I used to have a recording studio in the San Fernando Valley. I used to do a lot of demos for artists that were pitching to the labels and uh, I'd constantly be booked. And I felt that that was the entire purpose of my life was to do the best possible recording I could for them. And, and we produced hundreds of recordings uh, in short period of time for artists that many of them became successful and many did not. But as a result of that, I realized that there was this one particular situation where I was dealing with a, a band that were quite uh, demanding. Uh, it was a country band of all things. Really? And um, I ended up supporting them in what they wanted at and put myself, my own needs aside uh, as an engineer mm-hmm. for the whole process. And it just so happened that right at the time I was doing their recordings, my wife was in hospital and had a medical emergency. And I made the stupid mistake of not shutting down the session to go look after her, but to try to be loyal to my passion of music above all the pragmatic reality of everything. I think the cautionary tale that comes with this is that life gets in the way often of art. Yes, it um, does. And yeah. one has to be synergistic with the other mm-hmm. and I never will forget the fact that I made the stupid mistake of not going to the hospital when I should have. Thankfully she came out okay but uh, it it probably ended up costing me a marriage. Oh really and yeah. yeah and I would say that for artists that are out there working their butts off and dealing with issues, whether they're on stage, on the road, in studios, in whatever form, don't ever put your family and your life behind your personal motivation of art. I can totally
0: agree with you, Miles. And in, uh, in 2018, I I had been married for going on 40 years at this point. And um, I had just gotten a new job. I was the operations manager of five radio stations in Missouri. And, and uh, I was doing mornings and such and putting in 60 hours a week and, about the same time, my wife wound up having um, a blood clot go to her heart, and that and it, it got worse from there. She wound up uh, passing away uh, from the surgery that was associated with this. There's always a demand for you to be at work, but the thing is, you have to focus family first. And I learned that that I, I learned that totally changed my perspective on on my radio career because I realized she was more important than what I was doing I mean there'll always be a job you know as, as far as that goes if they were to say well you're fired because you need to tend to your wife uh, well then I would have walked out exactly yeah, but um, yeah. about but here's here's the thing this no, this actually ties into what we were talking about earlier the lovely lady that I'm with right now, is one of the most frugal-minded individuals there is. We go to Aldi's to go do our shopping. We wind Mm -hmm. up going to garage sales. We go to the second-hand shops and finding things. And I thank her very much because I am so financially stable now that it's something that I didn't have five, ten years ago. And uh, I think think she and you are probably uh, like-minded because uh, she's incredibly creative, and she's very, very smart and very, very frugal. And uh, I'm waiting for her to hear this podcast uh, because I think she's really, uh, she would really tune in. I think she'll definitely be subscribing to your podcast as well. Uh, Once again, we're speaking with Miles Whitcomb today. This has been a real treat to have you on the show, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, Once again, all the information down in the show notes. I want everyone to check out his podcast. And, man, I really thank you so much for being on my show, man. I wish you really well with what you're doing in Mexico. I wish you well with your studio. And uh, I hope you continue to... uh, Enrich other people's lives with your podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Hi,
0: this is Rick Anthony. Thanking you again for listening to this episode of Someone You Should Know. Now, if you're an aspiring musician or an established musician that's looking for a little exposure, I invite you to drop us a line at you Should Know Podcast at gmail.com. That's someone you should know podcast at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to tell a friend about the Someone You Should Know podcast. I thank you for tuning in this time, and I invite you to check us out next time on the Someone You Should Know podcast, because you never know who's going to show up. Until next time, remember, God loves you, and so do I.